All right, church. We're going to continue in our series, uh, The Carols of Christmas. Last week, we looked at Hark the Herald Angels Sing. This week, we're looking at Go Tell It on the Mountain. Uh, we're also going to be looking at Isaiah 52, 7, as well as Romans 10, 13 through 17. Uh, we've sung the song, you know the song, but let's read the scriptures uh, together. Isaiah 52 says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace and brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Romans 10 verse 13 says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written in Isaiah that we just read, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Oh, Father in heaven. You are holy and good, and we ask this morning that you would remove from our minds and from this place every spirit that does not claim Christ, and we pray that your Holy Spirit would reign here. We pray, God, that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to receive a word from you, that you would speak to us from your scriptures, that you would speak to our hearts and not just our ears, that you would challenge and convict and encourage us this morning. We pray you would illuminate us by your word. In Christ's name we pray, all his people said. The Brooklyn Tabernacle, you may have heard of it, was planted in New York City in uh, the inner city for the particular purpose to reach uh, those there in the inner city, the troubled, the, the most difficult place to be, and to try to reach those people there. Well, there was this one particular Sunday where uh, the, there was this uh, kind of celebration going on of this young lady. And uh, everything was going great, and it was being celebrated, and she was on stage talking, and the pastor noticed in the back, the door open, and this homeless man walk in. And he's like, oh, no. You just look at him and tell he's just clothed in rags, and, and he, he's just going to ruin everything. And he is coming down. He's headed down the aisle. And so the pastor thinks, oh, I'm going to go cut him off, right? I'm going to go beat him back there, give him some money, and, and shoo this guy off so that he doesn't ruin everything. And, and as he tries to get around to the back, he realizes, no, that dude's coming down the aisle. He's coming to the stage. And he's like, oh, no. And so he's going down, and he's going, he's pulling out his wallet. He's trying to figure out what kind of cash he's got to get this guy going and get him out the door. And as he approaches, I mean, he's still five, six, seven feet away. He can smell him. He can smell the B.O. and the nastiness of this man. And he's like, oh, my goodness, this day is going to be ruined. Everyone's looking over here. They're not looking at her on the stage. What is going to happen? And so he's pulling out his wallet. He's getting ready to give it to him. And as he's handing the man, the homeless man, money, the man pushes his hand away. And he says, I don't want your money. I want the Jesus she's talking about. And the pastor says he hugged this man. And he says in the book that he writes about this, he says that that stench became the most beautiful smell he's ever smelled. You see, one of the easiest mistakes for a church and even pastors to make is to forget the mission Jesus has called us to. It is so easy for us to get sidetracked and dis, uh, distracted 
to get busy with other things, other things that may be important, that may be good things to do, but get distracted nonetheless. We begin to become more concerned with church business. Important things that are not the main thing, like this pastor who for a moment was more concerned with this program going off without a hitch than he was for this man who was desperate for Jesus. See, there are a lot of churches who have their calendars full, whose ministries are constantly doing event after event, thing after thing. But busyness does not equal faithfulness. You see, a church can be really busy and yet still not accomplish the mission God has given us. So this morning, church, what I want us to do is I want us to kind of do a little self-examination of us as individuals and us as a church and ask the question, are we positioning ourselves properly to accomplish the particular mission that God has given to us or are we just busy doing church stuff? Are we distracted or are we laser focused? Before I can go any further, we have to all be on the same page on what in the world I even mean by the mission. You see, churches all the time begin to even lose focus on what the mission even is, and they begin to think that their mission is something else. You look at churches who think that their mission is a prosperity gospel, to make everyone rich and blessed and happy. You see, other churches think that their mission is a social justice. There may be good causes, but they take up whatever political or social cause that they're into, and they focus all their energy into that. See, other churches who think that their mission is to grow really big churches with lots of people, lots of numbers, and everything gets judged by the number of people that attended. But God has called us to one particular mission. Whether you're Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Catholic, whatever, we have one mission as the church of Jesus Christ, and that is to go into all nations, baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe. That means to follow, to obey everything Jesus commanded. So it's conversion and discipleship. Win people for Christ and take them deeper into Christ. But I want us to focus on for a moment this word go. You see, it's interesting when you look at the Old Testament, when, when God, what God had called his people, who, who are Israel, the Jews, what he had called his people to do. You see, Israel was never called by God to go. Israel, there's never an Old Testament scripture that God tells Israel, go and reach the lost. Instead, Israel was called to be a light to the nation. They were called to be a light to the nations. See, they, Israel was supposed to be so holy and so set apart, so different from the rest of the world that all the other nations would look at Israel and go, oh my goodness, I want a piece of what they got. I want to have some of that. Look at them. They're so different. They're so interesting. What is going on? They're so happy. They're so joyful. What is, I want a piece of that. I want some of what they got going on. Israel was supposed to be different from the nations, right? They're supposed to worship only one God, not many gods. Right? They, had no, they were supposed to have no human king. Right? God was their king. That'll set you apart. They weren't supposed to have tattoos. They weren't supposed to have human sacrifices. 
right? The other nations would bring little babies and lay them in the arms of a god called Molech who was on fire and they would burn up their infant children to sacrifice to their god and God forbade his people to ever do that. Other nations had temple prostitutes to worship their gods and God said, no, you can't do that. Other nations had multiple wives and God said, you're not supposed to do that. Instead, they were supposed to promote justice and righteousness and devotion to God or to Yahweh. They had a come and see mission. Come and see how different we are and what that means and come join us. Come and see what we are about, who God is. You might even say it like this. They were not supposed to keep their light under a bushel. They were supposed to let it shine. Let it shine. We see a couple of examples of this in the Bible where their light begins to shine and people come in, right? You see Rahab, this lady, this this, uh, harlot in Jericho who helps the Israelite spies. And then she eventually gets granted adoption into the people of God. And is one of the mothers of Jesus. You see Ruth, who marries into an Israelite family and she says, your God will become my God and your people will become my people. And she enters in to the people of God, though she was a Moabite. The examples of people from the outside coming into Israel, coming becoming a Jew are few and far between. There's not that many of them. And one of the reasons that it failed was because Israel did not stay distinct from the other nations very long. Right? They, they, they were not able to, to, to keep the differences because they always wanted to become like the other nations. They were jealous of the other things the other nations had that God forbid them to do, and they wanted to be like them, right? They wanted to worship all these other gods. They kept wanting to make like baby golden cows to worship. They kept wanting to worship Baal. They wanted to worship the Ashtoreth. They wanted to worship these other gods. They wanted a human king. They wanted some big, strong figure. So they picked Saul. They wanted to have multiple wives. They wanted the forbidden. They conformed to the world and their light, which was supposed to be a light to the nations, a sign to the nations that there was a God in heaven, never shined all that bright. And so for thousands of years, the nations have been deceived. The nations have had their eyes blinded and the truth of who God is was lost to them and the nations have been alienated from the promises of God and without hope. See, the come and see mission of Israel resulted in very few people actually coming and even less actually seeing. And so Israel was supposed to save the world by bringing other nations in as they saw their light. Instead, what happened was the world remained in darkness. The world did not know the truths of God and all the nations of the world have blinded eyes, deaf ears and hardened hearts and they live without hope. Until now. Because something new has happened. Until now because something new has dawned. Something that changed all of this. Something so big, something so amazing, something so wondrous that when it happened, the shepherds who heard the news couldn't wait for people to come see They had to go and tell everyone what they had heard. That the Savior of the world that they had been waiting on from the fall, from Genesis 3, from the beginning of time itself, had finally come. 
This Savior coming is such good news that it must be shouted from the mountaintops. It must be told over the hills and everywhere that there is born to you this day in the city of Bethlehem a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You see, this is good news because it is for all people. He is a Savior for all nations. See, the reason that we send money and we send mission teams to places like Uganda is because in Uganda there are people created in the image of God who God loves, but apart from the gospel, they will remain dead in their sin and they will die and they will go to hell. But Jesus came and died for people like the people in Uganda. For people around the whole world. And so it is the charge of every single Christian to get the gospel to those who don't know it. Who don't believe it. You see the gospel is good news. People around the globe who were once alienated from God. Whose eyes were once blinded. Who were once dead. Can be, have their eyes open. Their ears open. And they can live. They can have hope because the Savior has come. But it is only good news if they hear it. The gospel is only good news if it is heard. Look at Romans 10 with me. Starting in verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. All right, let's break this down for a minute. Okay, so the first thing we see, that if you call on the Lord in faith, you will be saved. All right, promise. You call on the Lord in faith, you will be saved. But, but logical progression here. But how can you call on the Lord if you haven't believed in the Lord? You have to call on the Lord in faith. How can you call on him if you haven't believed him? You see, plenty of people call on the Lord wrongly. When you're working on a house and you hit your thumb with a hammer instead of the nail, you might call on the Lord. That doesn't mean you're saved. But when tragedy strikes and you get the phone call about the wreck that your loved one is in, even atheists sometimes call on the Lord. I need a miracle. Heal them. But they haven't called on him in faith. They haven't made him Lord. They just want a quick, easy fix. They're desperate, and so they call on him. But that is not calling on him in faith. And so the question is, if you call on the Lord, you will be saved. But how can you call on the Lord if you haven't believed in him? And how are you supposed to believe in the Lord if you've never heard about him? How can you call on someone you don't know exists? And then finally, how will they ever hear about him? so that they can call on him, so that they can have faith in him, so that they can trust in him. How will they ever hear about him unless someone tells them about the Lord? And verse 17 sums it up. He says, faith comes by hearing. I want to be very clear about what Paul is saying here. And really what he has been building to for 10 chapters, especially chapters 1, 2, and 3. He has been building to make this point. And then when chapter 10 comes, it's like he puts the, the period on it and hammers it home. And I want to be really clear about what he's saying. And this is sometimes hard for us to swallow, hard for us to get, but, but we need to get it. It's important, I think. 
if someone around the world has never heard the gospel, has no idea who this Jesus character you talk about is, if they've never heard and they don't know who Jesus is and they've never had a chance to respond to him in faith, when they die, they will not get a free get out of jail, get out of hell card. They will not get a free pass to heaven. They will stand before God in condemnation for their sin and God will say, depart from me for I never knew you. And they will be cast into hell. And that is serious. The Bible is so very clear on this. If that was not, if that was not true, then we should bring every missionary home. If that were not true, we should bring every man. Stop telling people about Jesus. Because if you tell about them about Jesus, then you've given them a 50-50 shot. If they don't believe, they're going to hell. But if their ignorance got them a free pass to heaven, we should stop telling people. That can't be true. And so people around the world who have never heard or understood the name of Jesus are utterly without hope. They cannot be saved. The Bible tells us that there's only one name under heaven which, by which men can be saved, the name Jesus Christ. And unless they hear it, because hear, faith comes by hearing, unless they hear it and believe it and have faith, they cannot be saved. And this is tragic. And let me make it a little more tragic for you. There are 2.2 billion people with a B, billion people living today who have never heard the gospel. That if you went to them and asked them what they think about Jesus, they'd say, who's that? There are 2.2 billion people right now that if they die, will bust hell wide open and they've never heard. They have no exposure to the gospel. They are cut off because of cultural barriers, language barriers. They are outside. And unless someone learns their language and, in, and goes into their village, goes into their city, goes into their town, and shares the gospel with them, they are literally without hope. And they will never hear the gospel. And they will die and they will go to hell unless we do something about it. Romans 2 tells us that they will stand before God without excuse. There is no saying, well, I didn't know. That won't cut it because God is a good and just God and must punish sin. And that won't cut it. Your ignorance is no excuse for the law. And that is a hard reality to face. But we must face it if we're going to do anything about it. We must face it if we're going to do anything to give these people hope. That's why Paul quotes Isaiah and he says, How beautiful are the feet of those who share the good news. In a time where people wore sandals and walked through the dirt and the mud and the mire and an and animal dung in the streets, he's saying, well, those who go preach the gospel, their feet are beautiful because they bring hope to the hopeless. That's why Paul spent his entire life traveling the known world to share the gospel. Beautiful feet who spend their own money buying overpriced plane tickets, who get all kinds of vaccinations, who risk personal safety to travel to poverty-stricken countries in hopes of taking the good news of Jesus to people who don't know it. Church, my question for us this morning is, do we have beautiful feet? Do you as an individual and does us as Fellowship Baptist Church, do we have beautiful feet who herald the good news? 
Are we shouting it over the mountains and over the hills and everywhere? Or, or are we more concerned with trivial things? Some of you may say, well, Brent, I just cannot afford to go to Uganda. Why are you getting on to me? I can't afford that. I can't get time off work. I can't do that. And I understand those things, and those are legit things. You don't have to travel to Uganda to have beautiful feet. The mission field is not just in Uganda. It's in your backyard. And so my question for you, church, is do you intentionally invite your neighbors into your home for a meal so that you might share the gospel with them? Do you, when you sit on the, the, the bleachers the, at the ball game, in the stands at the ball game, watching your kids play, do you see all those parents as your mission field who are on a highway to hell and you have the only news that can divert them? Do you see your coworkers as your mission field? There are 2.2 million people around the world who have never heard the name of Jesus, and we need to do everything we can to get to the gospel to them. But you encounter people every single day who are dead in their sin and bound for hell. And you have in your heart and in your mind and on the edge of your lips the only message that can save them. And the question is, are your feet beautiful? That Do you take the good news to them? You see, we cannot be a church that waits around and says, if you want to know Jesus, you can come on in. We'll take you. Come and learn about him. We'd love for you to do that. We cannot be that church because they're not going to come. They're not coming. There used to be an idea in church that if you build it, they will come. If you build a great facility and all this, that people will come in and be interested and want want to learn. That is no longer true. We cannot have a come and see church. We must have a go and tell church. William Carey lived in the late 1700s. And William Carey, uh, who is really the father of international missions and the International Mission Board, William Carey in the late 1700s had a burden for the people of India. And William Carey went to an associational meeting with a bunch of other pastors and he pled, guys, we need to raise money. We need to send missionaries. Send me. I will go. We must reach India for Christ. We have to do it. And he got up and he gave this passionate plea for how we must reach India. And this old man stood up and here's what he said. Young man, sit down. You are an enthusiast. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he'll do it without consulting you or me. See, God wants to save the world, but he has entrusted the message to you and me. He has consulted us. He's entrusted with us the message of the gospel that is the only thing that gives hope to this broken world. And it's on us. And we can't wait for... William carries of the world to go and do it. We can't let people stand in our way. Because it is literally the difference between heaven and hell. See, good news must be shared. We can't wait for them to come to us. We must go and tell. I want to look at, for a minute, this mountain imagery in this song, Go Tell It on the Mountain. And I also want to look at the fifth verse. The fifth, the fifth verse of this song, I'll be honest, as I've sung it over the years and I read it, I had no idea what it meant. It seemed like the strangest verse to me. The verse says, he made me a watchman upon a city wall. Okay, great. What in the world does that mean? I have no idea. 
So I had to look it up. In those days in the Middle East, cities were actually planted and settled in between mountain ranges. And when cities were waiting on good news, when they were waiting on a messenger to come and give them good news, particularly about battles being fought, they would put a watchman up on top of uh, the city wall and he would look to the hills. He would look to the top of the mountains and wait because that is the first place that they would find a messenger coming. And if the messenger, when he came, was carrying some sort of flag, it meant that the battle was over and we have won. And the watchman on the wall would be the first person to see the messenger. And they would see the news, receive the news. We have victory. We are safe. The king has won. And they would turn to the people of the city and begin to herald and scream and announce, the victory is won. We have won the battle. Well, the point of this verse is that we are the watchmen. God has put us on the city walls and we have seen the flag. We have seen the messenger. We have received the good news that our king has had victory and now we're called to shout it. See, the word gospel also has similar roots. It is the Greek word euangelion. Use that this week. You'll sound smart. Euangelion. It literally means good news. It literally means it was the announcement that the king had won the battle, that his people were safe. And so a messenger would come heralding the euangelion, heralding the good news. The king has had victory. You see, the gospel is an announcement. It is a declaration that King Jesus has defeated our enemies and has had victory. That he has faced our truest enemies. That he has faced Satan, sin, and death itself, and he has vanquished them. That the devil has no claim on you now. That sin no longer holds you in condemnation. And that death no longer has the last word. Christ has had victory. And so we must go tell it on the mountain. We must tell the whole world the king has won. I'll tell you though, the most interesting thing to me about this song, Go Tell It on the Mountain, that it it's actually really old. It was written in 18, somewhere between 1840 and 1860. But what's really interesting is that it was written by African-American slaves in the Confederate South. And as I thought about this, I'm like, how in the world could a people who were literally owned by other men who were beaten, who were barely fed, who were treated so horribly and so terribly, How could those people who are so oppressed like that write a song and sing a song that was so full of joy, excitement, and hope? And why do they have the enthusiasm to share it from the mountains and over the hills and everywhere? You see, because the good news of the gospel comes and it gives hope to everyone. From the richest to the poorest, to the most powerful, to the weakest, both to the white and to the black. The gospel comes to slaves and it said, things may be rough now, but a savior has come who has come to set the captives free. See, the birth of the Savior was good news to slaves in the Confederate South because no matter how evil their earthly masters were, no matter how much they were worked, abused, and beaten, they had a heavenly master that they got to call Father who loved them so much that he sent his own son to die for them. They knew they were valued and loved. See, the gospel comes to all nations, but it also comes to all people. And it particularly 
comes to the poor, to the outcast, the broken, the immoral, to the homeless, to those who have made mistakes in their past, to the dirty, stinky, worthless shepherds. See, the gospel particularly comes to those who know they need saving. And you don't have to be a slave or a shepherd to believe the gospel, but you do have to have the heart of one. You don't have to be a slave or a shepherd or something like that to receive the gospel, but you must have the heart of one who knows they are broken and needs to be saved. You see, the slaves in the South knew their present circumstances were temporary, but the Lord was eternal, and he gave them hope, and their hope was so strong that it must be shared. Hope so good that it needed to be told on the mountains and over the hills and everywhere. David Livingston was living in London, but his whole life he wanted to be a missionary to Africa. And as soon as he could, he went to Africa, and at that time, Africa was unexplored. There were no maps. There were no roads. And that didn't stop David Livingston. He traveled and he bushwhacked through the jungles of Africa, finding villages that no one knew about, fighting against the slave trade, going to meet the chiefs of these villages to share the gospel with them. One day he was uh, confronted by a lion and was literally mauled to the edge of his life and laid ready to die. And a village helped him heal up. That didn't stop him. He kept traveling. And in his travels, he had partners and companions with him who constantly were dying from diseases and wild animals and That didn't stop him either. And he kept traveling. He kept sharing the gospel. And he spent his whole life in Africa sharing the gospel with people there until he got a disease as well and died. And when they found his body and was getting ready to send it back to London for burial, one of the villages got it and they literally cut open his chest and took his heart out. And they sent his body back with a letter that said his body belongs to London but his heart belongs to Africa. And they buried it beneath a tree near their village. My question for you this morning is where does your heart belong? Does it belong to the lost people at your work? Does it belong to the lost people that live next door to you? Does it belong to the people that you encounter every day who were to, if they were to die right now, would bust hell wide open? Or does your heart belong to your kid's sports team? Or does your heart belong to your career? Or does your heart belong to having a lot of fun and making a lot of money? Who has your heart? You see, you may be the only messenger of hope some people will ever encounter to escape the judgment of hell. See, this news is too important to hold on to. It is too important to wait and hope that others just see our light and and come and behold and come and check it out. This message is too important. It is news that must be heralded. It must be preached. It must be shared. We must go share it on the mountains, over the hills, and everywhere. Church, our mission is not come and see. It is go and tell. The king has secured our victory. And it is our job to announce it. Because how are they to believe in whom they have never heard? How is your neighbor to believe in whom they don't understand? 
How are they to believe in whom they have never heard? You see, once you see that the king of glory has come down from heaven to take a mountain, to go up a mountain, and to give his life for you, knowing all that you have done and will do, knowing all of your past, present, and future, knowing all of your mistakes and secret sins, that the king of kings came to be born of a virgin and went to a mountain to be crucified for you. When you get that, that it was done for you, and to the extent that you get that, it will create in you a heart for those who do not understand it and know it. See, we go tell it on the mountain because God came to die on a mountain. There may be some of you in this room right now and you have never called on Jesus as your Lord. You have been under this illusion that that religion can save you, that being a good person can save you, that coming to church can save you. But let me just plead with you guys that these things will damn you. It is only through the blood of Jesus and his resurrection from the dead that gives you hope. And God will bring you into his family. He will make you new and he will take you just as you are today. And if you wait till you try to clean up your life or get better, it will be too late. Today you can make him a Lord. He will save you and take you. And there may be some of you in this room and you know you should be taking the gospel to your coworkers and those around you. But let's just be honest, you're scared. You don't know what to say. You're embarrassed. You, you, you don't feel equipped. But let me just encourage you with this. Throughout the Bible, God uses people's weaknesses. He he even says in the New Testament, he uses our weakness so that we see him, him as strong, not us. He uses a donkey in the Old Testament to talk. He uses Moses who has a speech impediment. He uses all kinds of weak people. He uses David who committed adultery and then killed to cover it up. He can use you. You don't have to be perfect. Just talk about Jesus. Go tell it on the mountain because it is the only hope people have. Father, we come to you this morning and we pray particularly for two things. One, God, we want to lift up the nations to you. Nations that for thousands of years were in darkness and blinded to the truth of the truths of Yahweh, the truths of God. But now in Christ, the, the scales have been removed, the the the. Their ears have been opened. God, would you let them hear the truth, see the truth, believe the truth. God, would you use our feeble efforts and our feeble offering to to impact a place like Uganda, impact as we send money to the IMB, that as we go around the world to send money, to send missionaries, to send teams, that that you would raise the dead to life. God, that people would go from hopelessness to hope, that they would be transformed and have life. But God, I also want to pray that you would embolden us and empower us and give us the courage that when we sit in our cubicles, when we are are in our homes, that we would get out of our homes and we would go tell our neighbors, would you come join us for dinner? And we would talk about Jesus. That in our cubicles, we would talk about Jesus. That at the park bench, we would talk about Jesus. That in the stands at the game, we would talk about Jesus. Until people were sick and tired of it and we kept talking. God, give us a passion and a burden for the urgency of the gospel because this world is going to hell in a handbasket and you've entrusted with us the only message that can stop it. God, if there's anyone in this room who has not believed this message or trusted you, Lord, let them come today. Guys, I would love to talk with you and share with you about this hope.
It would make my world. Our deacons are up here. They would love to share with you. These steps are open. If you have someone in your life that doesn't believe and you just want to come and pray for them, you want to come and pray that God would save them by whatever means necessary, that he would embolden you to share, would you come get on your knees and just pray to the Lord, Lord, give me the courage, Lord, save my father, my mother, my sister, my brother, my uncle, my friend, my coworker, whoever. God, we need you. Church, I challenge you to respond how the Holy Spirit leads you. Don't fight him, just respond. In Christ's name we pray, all people said. Stand and sing with us. While shepherds can their watching for silent flocks by night, behold Shepherds fear and tremble Christmas more.
Joy to be with you guys this morning. Um, if you are our guest, just say we are so honored that you chose to be here with us this morning. I would love to get to meet you. I'm going to be standing through those double doors in the back. We'd love that. We have a gift for you right back there as well. We'd love to give to you. Um, as we leave, you'd help us stack chairs eight high. If you're a guest, you get to leave. You don't have to do that. Um, but uh, we love you guys. Peace be with you. Basketball. Don't set up. Set, set chairs around a circle because it's upward season. And so we got to do that. So help us do that. All right. Peace out.